Faces in here. It's good seeing some new ones, some old ones. I saw a lot of family in here. Um, but as you guys know, uh, Sunday mornings are usually pretty good. Uh, for me and my family, uh, I have two little toddlers. Like Pastor Sam said, we have the third one on the way. And Sunday mornings are a little bit like a war zone for me. Uh, and what do I mean by that? I'm not talking Call of Duty. I love Call of Duty. But I'm talking like, man, every time I try to get out the door on a Sunday morning, every time I try to like, get the kids ready, me and Maddie are like, all right, how are we going to attack this? How are we going to go and get these kids ready? Because at one moment they're listening, the next moment they're running, jumping on the couch, right? Or maybe they're like, hey, uh, I want to play superheroes. I'm trying to get their shirt on and like, come and save me, right? It's so much of a hassle sometimes. And I feel like, oh, like every Sunday morning, like, what is this? Like, what's going on? And for me, you know, what happens is I sometimes let my anger and frustration get the best of me. Um, and some of you might say, like, well, you're pretty chill, right? Like, what do you mean? Like, you never seen you yell. Like, oh, I get pretty mad sometimes, you know. I get, I get pretty angry. But matter of the fact is, um, you know, I, I get mad. I get frustrated. And my wife does a really good job. She calls me out and says, like, Brendan, like, you got to, like, chill and relax. I'm like, me relax? Like, who, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? And then I turn the flip it on her. And then I realize I take a step back. Like, God, I'm, I'm offended right now. Like, I, I'm offended. And for me... What that means is I have to take, like, inventory and be like, all right, well, Brendan, like, why are you offended? Why, why am I going down this path? And then you realize, like, this just leads to a little bit more things. I start pushing her buttons. She starts pushing my buttons. And then you ever seen that, that video on TikTok, like, you're on your way to church. You're sitting quietly in the car after, like, a rough morning, right? That's us sometimes, right? And for me today, because I feel like many of us fall into the, this area or this trapped in this, many of us are wounded, Right? And we walk around with deep-rooted offense, and that's the trap of the enemy. And that's what I want to talk about today. My title of my message is called The Trap of Offense. Okay, The Trap of Offense, all right? So uh, quick little inventory. Raise your hand. You ever been offended? Raise your hand. If, no one, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying. That's a sin. I'm telling you right now. Not everyone is, no, you can't, you can't be pulling that. Uh-uh. I know we're lying, okay? We'll, t- we'll get back to that later, okay? So, however, if you've noticed, have you, have you guys noticed how offended our society is like right now? Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad, right? Uh, if I just mention the word politics, oh my gosh, like that goes up in arms. If we can go left, we can go right, right? But the whole issue is, the root of the issue is that we can't have a difference of opinion without someone getting mad or like offended, right? That's kind of like where we're at today. And so for me, I make fun of my students all the time. Oh my gosh, they think they're the most woke generation there is, right? And for me, I'm like, man, I teach like AP Gov and we get into like conversations all the time. And as soon as someone has a difference of opinion, as soon as I say something, they're like, well, like, that's just wrong. You're wrong. Like, you're a bigot. I'm like, oh, excuse me, right? Like, right? And then in comes the cancel culture. Then you're canceled. You say something wrong and then it's all over, right? And today, what I'm here, what I'm going to try and process with you guys is an issue I truly believe that not just like our culture has, but I even say the church has. And I think it's our relationship with others. I would say marriages, friends, uh, maybe even work environment as we go out into the workspace. Really every aspect of our life, and it, aff- it affects every single one of us, is that no one is exempt from offense. Okay? No one is exempt. And I can be honest, I, I, it's not just us, the church, you know, that gets offended like everyone does, but... If we are going to look different from the world, then why do we look the same like the world when we are offended? Okay? Most, of people, most offended people are, for example, let's stick to the church here for a little bit. When, let's say I give uh, permission to Pastor Sam to call me out or permission to like an elder or like a leader and just say like, hey, uh, I really want you to hold me accountable in this area. Like I really struggle with it. And then the second we chime in, it's like, boom, automatic offense. I'm out of here. Church hurt. Right? <laughs> Uh, I gave a friend, uh, I said something wrong about a friend or someone said something else, automatic offense. Uh, I gave a suggestion, I didn't feel heard, automatic offense. Uh, you didn't get invited to that space, that place, automatic offense. 
And, you know, maybe outside of church today, you're going to get your, your parking spot. Maybe you're pissed off. Maybe you got offended, right? Maybe you're going to get your seat today in church, right? Automatic offense. You get the point. But when we do this, we really are no different from what the world looks like. Yeah. We really aren't. And so while we are, you know, not the same, but we do have to remember we are people, right? We're human. We are flawed. We're all sinners. And it's hard to believe because, well, if I see things my way, right, that's, that's just right. That's just how it is. But I'm here to tell you that Satan himself, as Pastor Sam, Sam said this morning, the devil himself gets into those spaces, okay? Satan himself is capitalizing on those situations when we're hurt and when we only see one thing a certain way, that tunnel vision, all right? And especially when we're in the state of being offended, he purposely creates a trap that causes division, and just about every one of us gets guilty of falling into this. And I want to remind our church, Coin Church, that we are not fighting something according to our flesh in this. This is a really spiritual deep battle here, okay? It is a spiritual thing. In Matthew 16, Satan literally tries to hinder Jesus uh, through Peter, okay? Jesus was foretelling his death and resurrection, and Peter chimes in in the most worldly ways, like, God, you are not going to die. and like, Get out of here. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, you're, this is not going to happen, Jesus. And essentially, here's what Jesus' response was. Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance or also known as a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus knew it wasn't necessarily Peter trying to stumble him or cause him to sin, right? It was the devil getting into that space. He literally called Peter Satan. Satan, get back from me. And I don't know if you guys are catching that. If one of the 12 disciples can be used by Satan, then how about us? That's something you guys really have to process. And you might not think so big about it, right? Like, what do you mean, like, the devil can use you? Like, honestly, in any little space, any little opening the door, the devil can use you and cause a, another person, another family member, another friend to stumble. And we really have to uh, process that. So what I've realis- realized most, it's that the people you love most, you get the most offended by. I mean, honestly. Maddie, like I said, you know, uh, I can go on for days. I, I told her this message is really for me because I'm like, what do I need? Something I need to work on. I'm like, oh, I get really offended by Maddie a lot, right? Like, honestly, <laughs> like uh, Maddie, Maddie is really good at, you know, calling out things in me, but that's out of love. You know what I mean? She's my wife, friends, family, right? But again, why do we get so offended, right? Why are we getting so offended by the ones you care most? Well, what does the enemy love most? To divide the people you love most, Right? So to, to divide and isolate you from the very people that keep you accountable, the devil's got you. The Satan has entered the, the room, right? Because that's where the pain is. That is where the hurt is. And that's where he can trip you up and get in the way of God's purpose of your life. There's a bigger picture to what he's trying to do. And if he gets in those spaces, he diverts you. He gives you a stumbling block, a, a different road that you weren't supposed to be on. All right? So maybe it is, though, a coworker. Maybe you've experienced hurt from a coworker. Maybe a friend. Uh, maybe a person you don't even know. I've been offended by people I don't even know. I'm like, you don't even know me, right? Or even what worse, what about the ones you trust most, like mom, dad, brother, sister, family members? And uh, what about God? God, right? I think for me, and I think for some of us in this room, we can attest that I have been offended by God. And I, truly, I can say I have. In, in 2010, I was 17 turning 18 that year. I just graduated high school. Uh, well, 2010, right? That's a long time ago, right? <laughs> right? Uh, and for me that year, it was kind of a time of my early faith. I was going to church a little bit. I was praying. I was in my word. You know, I was trying to figure this all out. But I told God, like, hey, as long as I do X, Y, Z, like, I'm good. Like, I'm good. Right, God? And uh, I think C.S. Lewis, excuse me, John Bevere 
put this quote out, and he said this, offense will reveal the weakness and breaking point in our lives, often a point where we think we are strong is our place of hidden weakness. It will remain hidden until a powerful storm blows away the cover. And for me that year, I can truly say that the storm hit. Um, you know, for me that year, I, I was experiencing, you know, some family issues, uh, seeing like, you know, a perfect family that's not necessarily perfect, starting to realize that. And, you know, you work through that. I see myself in a relationship. I know 18 years old, what do you do? End of my life, right? But going through relationship issues that year. Um, but the biggest thing for me that year was um, losing my uh, best friend, my naughty, oh, gosh, my grandma. And uh, I told myself I want to get emotional. <laughs> but, you know, she was a woman of God. She, she taught me just, like, what it is to love people, just be a friend. And... For me, she passed away so suddenly at young, at 59 years old. And I was like, God, where are you? God, how could you let this happen? God, you're not supposed to be, like, aren't you supposed to be good? And for me, I was so offended. I was like, God, like, how could you let this happen? Like, God, like, you're, the, you're supposed to be a good God and you let people die. Like, what, what's going on? Again, I was young in my faith that I didn't understand. And uh, what did I do? You know, what was my resolution? Um, for me... I turned away. I turned away. I, what did I do? I went to go indulge in the worldly things. I, I went to go drink. I partied. You know, went into temptations. Anything the world had to offer, that was my, like, my numbing the pain, right? And I feel like some of us in this room have been there, right? We've been there. So for me, I'm here to tell you that you don't have to fall into that. And I've experienced it, okay? Um, in many different scenarios, all of you have experienced it. And it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, we, I can try to tell you and I can try to convince you today that you don't have to fall for the bait. I'm here to tell you that the church didn't betray you. God didn't betray you. Sinful people did. The devil does. Yeah. Okay? And unless you're Jesus himself, you're not perfect. Satan will use sinful people as a trap to lay out the bait or the trap to try to use offense to divide and isolate you. Scripture tells us Satan is the father of lies. And the more we know he's working behind the scenes, we know that we can be a little bit more aware. He's going to, to kill, to seek, to kill, and destroy anything that you try to get into, right? But your faith is better off trying to combat being stuck in that, all right? So here's what I'm doing today. For, I'm going to break it down to four parts, four parts for us today. Uh, part one is everyone falls for the trap or everyone gets offended. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 17.1. I'm going to give you guys a second here, Luke 17.1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4 today, and that's going to be kind of be like the meat and potatoes of my message, all right? So part one, everyone falls for the trap or everyone gets offended, all right? All right, so my version is ESV, and I'm going to read this to you guys, and you can follow along. And it said this, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, I'm going to go back to verse 1. King James Version does a really good job, I think, at the translation. And it said this, Then he said unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. So depending on your version, yours might say sin, some might say offenses, but it's synonymous. So the word offense in ancient Greek is called scandalon. And what scandalon is, and I don't know if you guys have seen those old cartoons of like 
a stick and then like a box and like setting a trap. It's that bent stick setting a trap for something, usually like a rabbit or an animal. So what this means is that it's a, a trap, a stumbling block for someone to fall into. And for us, the Bible is literally saying, woe to you whoever caused an offense or a stumbling block or a trap to others, okay? Take inventory. Are you that person to somebody else, right? Kind of a, a tough pill to swallow. Romans 14, 13 says this, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. As disciples of Jesus, people in this room, people at home, are you causing others to stumble? So, for example, if I know a brother or sister struggles with, like, pornography and sex, am I talking about those things around them? Am I showing them, like, hey, I I do it and it's no big deal? A person who struggles with alcohol addiction or deep-rooted generational curses of those things, are you drinking around that person, causing that person to stumble and think about, oh, I can have one then? No. What about idolatry? And I'm not just talking about, like, idols. There's different idols in the world, like the love of money, the love of success, those different things. If someone struggles with that and you're constantly talking about that things, or look what I can get, look how much money in X, Y, Z, are you causing that person to stumble, right? Again, it's not an easy topic to think about and talk and kind of process. But if we are, we need to take a hard look in that mirror and repent of our ways because Jesus clearly is saying we are better off dead. Like, that's what verse 1 is saying in verse 2. We are better off dead. Ouch. Like, ouch. I know you guys remember Pastor Mike saying that. Ouch. Now, that's offensive. Like, God is telling us we are better off dead if we're causing another person to stumble, right? And that's something with your soul you have to wrestle with, all right? Again, temptations to sin or stumbling are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better off for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Little ones to sin or stumble. And little ones, all that means, not just necessarily children, even like those who are beginning to believe. Okay? So, again, continuing on that conversation of the trap of offense, we have to understand there's two different categories. Well, I believe there's two different categories, okay? Here's the two. One, those who have been treated unjustly, and only one word difference, the ones who believe they've been treated unjustly. Okay? So take inventory, process that for a second. Which one do you fall into? Number one, those who have been treated unjustly, for those that have been treated unjustly, and I know a lot of us have been in this room, whether it's through God, through people, whoever, do you have the right to be offended? The answer is yes. Technically, yeah, you could be offended for that. But as believers and as disciples of Christ, we give up that right to be. We do. And it's hard to, to understand that. All right? As believers, we have to give up that right. But you might tell me, and I know I've heard it, like, but, but, but like, Brendan, you don't understand what this person's did to me. You don't understand what my mom or dad or what my family's put me through, what God's put me through. And I, I understand that. I totally do. All right? But I think C.S. Lewis does say it best. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Yeah. I mean, think about that. Before you were even born, God has forgiven every single little inexcusable thing in you. So why can't we do that to others? Yeah. And again, in no way, please hear me because I'm, I'm not trying to ruffle feathers. I know this is offensive. It might be offensive to you. But like I am no way trying to negate anything that has happened to you because there has been some deep-rooted hurt in this room. There's generational things. There's like moments. There's, there's transparencies. I understand that. But what our problem is is that what we tend to do is it's a lot easier to point out flaws in something else or other people than to like process that. And 
We ignore our own sin. So in the church, we like to categorize sin as some worse than others, right? Adultery and murder versus like pride and gossip, right? But in reality, sin is sin. There's no really sin that's worse than the other. And so when we process that, even if you have the right to be offended, how can we be offended and still show constant love and grace to others when we're in offense? Because I know darn well if I'm like offended and I'm all in a mood, like I'm not going to be able to show love to someone else. Like no way. I don't, I don't feel like it. Like no way. Right? So do you want to be right and lose everything in your offense or do you want to choose to love through it all? All right? All right. I'll come back to that. Now, uh, category two, for those who believe they've been unjustly, you know, hurt or gone through something or been offended, this is a tough one. How can you determine if you're in category two? Category two is like this. Conclusions are drawn from inaccurate information, also known as the he said, she said, the gossip, right? Oh, I heard you, you said this about this person. I heard you said that. Okay. All right. Well, what about the other one? Or maybe it is accurate information and then the perception of what they said is completely off, Right? If you, were, if you ever experienced that, I feel like a lot of us have, both ways a person is, is going to be hurt and understanding, and their understanding of everything is darkened. And what do I mean by that? A hurt person starts to judge themselves. They start to assume. They start to judge people off their appearance and even hearsay. They even maybe start talking a little bit, right? And when we're hurt, we filter everything through this, the, their experience of hurt, rejection. Um, they're in pretty, basically, what you're doing is it's, it gives you a, a sense of impossibleness to believe God. Because you're so hurt, right? Like, God, like, how could you let this happen? Like, how are you going to let this person talk about me? Or how can you let this person, a brother and sister in Christ, like, go through all this, right? You start, doubt, you start to doubt his goodness and his faithfulness. And so we start to judge God when we're in this situation. And so as we continue, what happens then if I'm in any of these two categories if I'm offended, right? Let's say you're offended on something. So part three is what's my response to offense, right? What should my response be? An offended person, if they are truly offended, can start to betray. And if you start to betray, if things aren't dealt healthily within you, hatred and resentment start to leak into your heart, right? I know this, like, and I'll be completely vulnerable. When Maddie or something something makes me mad, I start to have resentment, and I'm like, oh, like, I don't want anything. I don't want to talk to her. Like, I don't want to mess with any of that stuff, right? But Proverbs 18, 19 says this, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. And that imagery, that picture, I think of like the old school, like, you know, medieval kingdoms and like the fortresses and all those things. Like those are hard things to break down. Walls are really hard to break down. And so when a person is offended, they create metaphorical walls, don't they not? Right? Offended people become so closed off, they cut people off, they hurt other people, and what an offended heart does is a breeding, it creates a breeding ground for deception. So again, an offended heart equals a breeding, breeding ground for deception. And who is the ultimate deceiver behind that? We have to realize, who is it? Yeah. Satan is the devil, right? Again, he got in. But again, Brendan, like, why can't we just all understand each other? Isn't like the truth the truth? Well, here's something I see daily and, uh, through students, through people, the culture, and it's this. It's because of this. There's relative truth, and there's the absolute truth, right? And this is where, where people kind of go into categories here. Absolute truth, it's right here, right? It's God's way. It's God's word. And for me, when scriptures say, like, I should forgive a brother 77 plus times, that's God telling me what I need to do. But what, is, what, like, what do other people do when they get hurt? Cut them off. You're out of my life. 
hey, I want nothing to do with you. Like, go away from me. Like, I, I, just, I just, I don't want anything to do with you, right? That's what the world says. But scripture says we have to forgive them 77 plus times. Like, process that, right? Relative truth, I think you guys know where I'm going with this, is people really don't know what the truth is anymore. It's whatever their truth is. So today's culture says, whatever you believe, whatever your emotions are, that's real life. That's, that's just, that's your truth. That's it, right? And culture says that if a person doesn't respond to your text, they don't value you, so don't put your energy into them. Why do you care? Like, why, why does it matter to you, right? Uh, forget them. Uh, you don't have to get married in today's climate. You know, I know this is a touchy one, right? You don't have to get married, but like, go do you. Go, go have sex. Like, go do whatever. Like, no big deal. But we all know what the Bible says, Right? But in reality, these truths or these like little examples are evidence of really a skewed reality. And people who think they are right, because people truly believe like in, in certain spaces, like, yeah, I, I know I'm right. Like that's the, that's the truth, are going to do whatever to justify they are right. And I've witnessed that. I've felt that. And may I dare say, may even use scripture to back up what they say is right. Right? And that's blasphemy. But think about that. If if people can use scripture in the wrong way to back up something that's like maybe the devil's gotten a hold of, I mean, the Satan literally tried to tempt Jesus with scripture in the, in the wilderness, right? So what makes you think that people won't do that to you as well? So be aware of that, literally. So when people don't agree or live the same lifestyle or want to do the same things or even correct others, offense comes in. And at the end of the day, as Christians or as disciples of God, we should always, the word and God should always be our foundation. So... Number two, we create unrealistic expectations of others, okay? So what do we do by this? What do, what do I mean? We set ourselves up for offense when we set too, unreal, too many unrealistic expectations, okay? So we tend to hold our church family, our pastors, maybe some of the elders to a higher standard. And what happens? The second I mess up, Maddie messes up, Pastor Sam, Pastor Kel, because I'm going to be honest, we've messed up. Like, I'll tell you that right now. We've messed up. What happens? People look at us and like, oh, well. They're not perfect. Like, aren't they supposed to be godly people? Like, I don't want to go to that church anymore. I'm out of here. Like, oh my gosh, like this, they, they actually hurt somebody else? What? Again, yes, we are leaders. Yes, there are people that lead us in the church, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to mess up. We're flawed. We're sinners. We're, we're people, okay? So you can't set unrealistic expectations, and this is where the, the church hurt comes in. If I expect my wife to be perfect every single day, and again, I'm not saying she isn't, right? She's perfect. She's perfect. She's perfect. She's perfect. She's perfect. <laughs> But again, if I expect her to be perfect every single day, that's an unrealistic expectation. It is. Because what that does, the second that something's not attainable and she doesn't do what I want her to do, I'm all mad, I'm all pissed off, I'm offended, right? Again, you're just setting yourself up for failure if you're doing that. Any example, you name it, we get offended when people don't act the way we expect them to, all right? And again, we forget people are, are flawed, are human. When someone, I'm, I'll give Maddie props. She's really good at like, remembering people's birthdays, like all that stuff. But like, when someone forgets a birthday, I don't know, if, has anyone ever been offended when someone forgets your birthday? I'm like, oh, this person doesn't care about me. Like, what do you mean? Like, right, my birthday. Or like, forget when they don't text back. Or they bail on you, etc. right? All this does is drive a fence. And the enemy gets a foothold in that door, starts plaguing your mind with deception about how you can do better, find better friends, find a better, better church, etc. Right? There's always something better. That's not completely true. All right? All right. So now, part four. How do we combat? Right? Here's how our response is, but how do we actually combat not being offended? How do I not fall into this trap, Brendan? Well, here's a couple tools that I'm going to give you guys today. All right? How to combat the trap of offense. One starts with getting rid of your pride. 
okay? Pride will keep you from admitting your true self, your true heart, right? And for me and for you, we're just as flawed as the person who offended you, and it distorts your vision, it distorts your vision and it hardens your heart. And, you know, there's many verses in the Bible, many stories in the Bible about hardened hearts and, like, the pharaohs and all that stuff and not, like, listening to God's word. But what it does, if your heart is hardened, it creates this victim mentality. And if you don't swallow your pride, put your pride to the side, you become that person, right? You need to humble yourself before the Lord and show humility and realize that, you know, put my pride aside. I'm, I'm just going to put that to the side and process this. Two, when offense comes, because the Bible, again, I said that verse one, it's going to come, we must respond with addressing it. Luke 17, three, if you guys go back and look at that, it says three, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him and repent. And if he repents, forgive them. So how many of you guys have ever swept anything under the rug? Like, I don't want to talk about it. Put it aside, right? Okay. The first thing you should do is rebuke them, aka confront them, Right? No, not go and gossip. No, and got, go and talk to somebody else about it first. Confront them, the person that you have an offense with. Again, I know I hate confrontation. Oh, my gosh, it's so uncomfortable. I, I, I hate confrontation. Oh, like, I, I get Maddie props. She's really good at it. Like, I'll tell you right now. She's really good at confrontation. Like, anybody, she, she can do it right. But the main thing here is if you are going to confront somebody, it has to be in what? What does it say? In love. Don't come in guns blazing. Don't come in all pissed off and be like, you wronged me, you did this, you do that. If you don't come in with the right heart posture, it's going to go nowhere, yeah. right? You have to confront that brother and sister straight up in love, okay? And again, I think this church, and I'm just going to be completely vulnerable, needs to do that because if the gap, if you wait too long to do this, let's say like, all right, yeah, I'm going to talk to them tomorrow. All right, now, now next week, a month goes by. Then what that does is that gap, who shoots the gap there? The devil does. Satan does. He gets into your mind. He gets into your thoughts, right? Because you never talked about it. You never confronted the issue. When things get swept under the rug, we never confront the issue. And that's when we get all mad. We get all snippy. You, know, you look at that person a different way, and then it's just gone from there, all right? So don't delay. Hit and uh, confront them ASAP. Again, it has to be in love. When we are keeping score or record of every little offense, Ephesians 4.2 says, be humble Patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault. Make every effort to keep yourselves united. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. Approach the situation not in a combative way, but in love. Okay, so we have one, let go of your pride. Two, don't avoid, don't delay. The third one is probably the hardest one, and it's forgiveness. Forgiveness. You have to forgive them. Luke 17.4 says this, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Matthew 5.44 says this, pray for anyone who mistreats you or persecutes you. Another version says abuses you, right? Some of you in this room may have gone through an abuse. Maybe have. I understand that. You have to really take a hard look in the mirror and in your heart and be able to forgive a person who has hurt you deeply or even at the surface, whatever levels of hurt that you have. Because if you don't, God will not, not even continue to work in yourself because you won't forgive somebody. A story of Joseph. The story of Joseph, maybe some of you guys know, some of you, many of you don't. Quick little synopsis of that. I'm not going to put it up. You guys are curious. Genesis 50, go look at that. Um, but the story of Joseph, uh, pretty much he had this dream, this vision that, that he was going to rule over the land, and then he told his brothers, and his brothers were like, like, what do you mean you're going to rule over me, little brother? Like, what the heck? They got so mad at him. 
sold them into slavery to Egypt where they pretty much, anyone who's sold into slavery is known to either like die or like, you know, go down and like not survive. And he goes to Egypt, but his faithfulness was so good to God that he somehow managed to become the second in command to Pharaoh, right? And what happened back home after many years, there was a huge famine that hit the brother's home, the family's home where he was from, and what ends up happening? The brothers end up coming and begging for food, not knowing that their brother was still alive. And right in front of, of Joseph, beg and plead and say, like, like, forgive us. Like, we, and basically because why? They were dying. They were starving. And Joseph, at that very moment, could have been right there to his brothers on their knees and been like, you sold me off to die. My own brother, my own blood. Why should I forgive you? But what did he do in that instance? He said, no, God used me for good, and I'm going to create a good situation out of this, and forgave his brothers for selling him into slavery, right? Then what more of us than to forgive somebody else? As Pastor Sam said, at Jesus on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they are doing, God, literally murdering Jesus on the cross. Peter, one of, again, Peter again, up on one of his right-hand disciples said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, right? But why? Because he denied Jesus three times, three times. And when Jesus came back after his resurrections, he asked him, do you love me three times, was giving him a second chance to be like, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Jesus didn't exonate Peter. Jesus didn't say like, ah, you're not my disciple anymore. He said, no, I forgive you, Peter. Like, go and do my works for me, right? And for us, what are we doing? Like, if I get offended with someone in this church, am I leaving that coin crew? Am I not texting that person back anymore? Am I going to gossip to somebody else? And I think for us in this church, I think we really have to figure out what our response is going to be, right? Why is our response in the church so worldly and so cut them off, forget them, like I don't want anything to do with them? And there's healthy boundaries. Don't get me wrong. There's healthy boundaries. But again, you have to process, and it starts with pride. It starts with confronting the issue and then forgiving, all right? And again, if we don't forgive others, this is what the Bible literally says in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 6, 14, 15. For if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive yours. So if you don't forgive somebody else, the Father's not going to forgive you for your sins. Process that. And it's hard. It's hard. But God, again, you don't understand. I don't want to give an apology or vice versa. Again, Jesus forgave us of our sins, then we have to do that unto others. But again, there's a difference between forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration, all right? Forgiveness doesn't require an apology. In your own heart right now, you can forgive someone without even telling them, right? You don't have to go and say, like, I want you, like, I forgive you. You don't necessarily have to do that. It starts with your own heart, okay? But reconciliation is where someone says, I'm sorry, I've done wrong, and there's a restoration process behind that, okay? Again, there's a difference. Paul says we are ministers of reconciliation, but if possible, try to be at peace with others. And to clarify, I'm not asking you to go and say, all right, you hurt me so bad, I forgive you, but I have like a good relationship the next day. It doesn't work that way, right? Again, a lot of you have really deep, hard things you've dealt with. And I'm not asking you to go up to them and like have a relationship with that person. No. Start with forgiveness in your heart, and then God will start working in that. Okay? Start working in that. As I start to close, many of you guys in this room, men and women alone, children, have been betrayed, have been hurt, have taken offense, and the only mindset is, I'm right and they're wrong. I'm justified in my anger, but your anger will only cause you to hold a grudge, 
It will cause resentment. It will cause division. And then the enemy wins. The enemy wins every single time. We shouldn't look just like the world when handling the offense, yet we do. We need to get in the right mind because offense causes so much division and damage and isolation that it hinders the ultimate goal of walking in God's blessing. My encouragement as you guys are kind of going into the week and just into your daily lives, don't fall into that trap of offense. Don't fall into the lie that this person deserves this or that I have every right to be offended, God. I have every right to be mad. Don't let the devil convince you that you can be offended and still show God's love. Because again, if you're not loving properly, then you're not going to be able to do that to other people, okay? If there's a fence that needs to be addressed, address it. Don't delay. Let the enemy get his foot in the door and divide you guys further into community, maybe your own family, even God, right? Talk to God. Confess himself to you. Forgive, right? Would, you, would we set aside our pride, lower the unrealistic expectations, learn to forgive, increase our grace for others? We are not perfect, and we're going to fo- fall short every single time. But let's handle it in the way as disciples of Jesus would. Not the way the world does, not the way we're going and choosing to cut people off or choosing to, you know, forget them and move on, right? Let's not gossip, let's not harbor resentment, but really show forgiveness and grace to those that have, okay? So today, church, I really, really pray that you guys, in your offense or in your hard doings or in your wrongings, learn to love one another deeply and start with forgiveness of not just yourself, but of others. That's where it starts. As we combat this, and I feel like this is something we battle with every single day, in the smallest to the biggest things, let God renew your mind daily. Let God work in your heart and have no malice towards another person, despite how big or small the offense is. All right? God, let us pray. Lord Jesus, I, I just pray over this community, over this group of people right now, God, that, that you started deep working within people's hearts. Lord, I, I truly, truly feel this heaviness of, of just hurt and resentment because of wrongdoings that people have experienced in this room, whether it was a mom, a dad, a family member, a close friend, a close relative, or even you, God. But God, remind them that it's not you that's offending them, God. It's the sin. It's the devil, Father God. And that the devil can't show deception anymore over them, God, Jesus. The devil can't get a foothold in their life anymore, Jesus, God. Because, God, you are better. You are stronger. You are wiser than anything in this world, God. So, Father God, I pray that our hearts be softened this morning, God. That we have forgiveness, that we have just this new heart that we process this, God, and that we take it into the new week. We take it into every single day, God, that you are, that you are good. You're just good, Father. You are so good. If you forgave someone like me, then why can't I forgive someone else? Forgive them, Father. Forgive them. Lord, we thank you. We honor you. And we love you so much, God. In your name we pray, amen.